Welcome back to the Neighboring Podcast. We are back for uh, part two of the Louisville trip debrief. And uh, I was able to sit down with a few people on the bus on the way back, uh, a few others on the day after and a couple days after, and then yet just this week was able to get another interview. So it was great to hear everyone's takeaway. There was a lot of energy around a number of ideas that you'll hear through this episode. It's a little bit longer, but I think if you hang through it, you'll get to hear a lot of really great things about one what we learned, but two, what some local forming community leaders are learning in general and how they're processing uh, their growth, their development, and ultimately what it means to be a good neighbor for them. So I think this is a really exciting interview. And especially if you're into the community development, neighborhood development space of how are young leaders, multiple leaders of various backgrounds trying to really figure out, man, how do we do our job better and how do we love our city better? And how do we do good work that is meaningful, uh, that is just, and uh, welcome for all? A couple of things that stood out. Uh, we have all this on our on our website, so feel free to check it out. But you know, some items like innovative financing, uh, demand for collaboration. There's a, there's always a demand for collaboration and need to be connected more so. And there was a lot of energy around that. Uh, that it's important for a city to have a centralized story that all of our organizations, including the city and the government and the business, understands who neighbor or who Fort Wayne is, what is our history, how we're addressing issues, and getting a centralized theme for our work um, collectively. And ultimately, we just need to listen more. Uh, we need to sit down and we need to talk and we need to hear more so than... Uh, what we want to prescribe on a neighborhood and then we got to sit in the tension of if people push back and say you know what we really don't want that what are we going to do as developers so tune in uh, listen uh, thoroughly hopefully you gain some insights and we'd love uh, to hear what you think also on uh, the neighboring website for this particular episode we have a list of links connected to the organizations and the things that we did along the way. So make sure you check those out if you have interest and uh, following up and learning from those that we learned from. Have a great day. Well, we're back on the Neighboring Podcast. We're back on the bus uh, heading back towards Fort Wayne after two full days of really diving in to half dozen or more community development initiatives and efforts with all different types of background, funding sources, people involved, and historical backgrounds on neighborhoods. And we're all a little bit overwhelmed. I'm back with Allison Gerardo of the Community Foundation. And we're gonna try to just do some initial recaps, like what, what stood out to ourselves, uh, what stood out to Allison, and what we're going to do with some of these thoughts as we go back and how it's informing some of our work. So, Allison, kick it off with one one or two things that really kind of stood out to you um, from a professional perspective. So, from the Community sure. Foundation hat, sure. what's one or two things that stood out to you on this trip so far? Um, so, let's see. From a professional hat, I would say that... Um, I was just really impressed and um, 
overwhelmed isn't the right word, but uh, just very impressed and taken aback by their creativity. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a artistic sense at all, uh, just their creative thinking. So uh, everyone I think we talked to talked about creative financing. So in Fort Wayne, a lot of times we tend to think it's a grant or it's a loan. Uh, and there are so many broader options and definitions of how you do financing. They, they seem to have gotten over some of the, the initial risk factors uh, or the fears, the risk fears. Uh, Foreign would seem to be a bit more conservative in terms of uh, funding some of these initiatives. And while I'm sure Louisville was at some point, it does seem like they have had some early successes with some funders and some loan uh, people that says like, okay, this is actually doable. So yeah, I picked up on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the the this broader idea, uh, you know, we talk about in at the Community Foundation Philanthropy, but with a capital P, you know, it's not your charitable giving as you traditionally think about it. It's your your philanthropic intentions, the intention behind which you do an action, and so many of their intentions were not to. Uh, we're not to make investments so that they make then millions of dollars. Their intention, their philanthropic intentions, were to make sound investments that were going to create some kind of return, but it, but in turn create such a broader social impact. They weren't driven by the financial returns, and that's so powerful. And that's um, something that I would love to see more happen more in Fort Wayne. It's a good distinguishing thought on the ideas behind philanthropy and just charitable giving. Most people really think of philanthropy on a service level as just charitable activity, like them one and one and the same, and they're not always. Like they're it's multi philanthropy is multifaceted. And a lot of what we've talked about, there's a there's a relatively new term specifically more so in Fort Wayne with many organizations understanding and saying what you're describing is more like is termed as impact investing yes, like absolutely. how how do you get investors that are used to market driven investments to reconsider or really add another layer of return on investment right. so instead of going into a real estate deal with 20 to 30% expectations on financial returns, how do you reduce that to say one to 3%, but not just walk away that way, but add a social component. What do you want to have happen with the people you're serving or the neighborhood or whatever is the top of your mind or as it relates to the investment. So impact yeah. investing, I imagine from this trip is going to continue this year to be uh, more top of the mind. Yeah, I, ho I hope and so. And it needs to be. It really does. It really does. And I think the other thing in creativity is that a lot of the organizations that we saw that were doing work specific to uh, neighborhoods weren't necessarily nonprofit organizations. I think in Fort Wayne, a lot of times we think it's either nonprofit or for profit. Yeah. And it, it they're all, again, there's there are so many hybrids of what can be social enterprises that have a for-profit component but are also doing social good and also creating impact. Um, real estate, uh, you know, real estate developers that are doing 
huge pieces of social investment as well as impact, you know, along tied into their impact investing tied into. So I think it, it um, it's just expanding our traditional thought on how you do any and all of those things. And it sort of takes, it, it does take any and all of those things to be able to do comprehensively what Louisville's doing. It's no secret in Fort Wayne and across the nation and many of the people we talked to the, the last couple of days around traditional funding is just different. Um, giving is it has changed and I think it's caused us all to get more innovative and definitely take a look at the types of programs. We can't just be organizations that serve at a benevolent level without any sort of expectations on real transforming outcomes. More funders are asking questions about like, especially organizations that are 15 to 30 years old, what, what did you accomplish? And if you don't have good uh, metrics on outcomes or be able to really illustrate, then you're gonna be questioned heading into the future. But also, there's some really smart people entering into the space and saying, look, we can create business to have the impact that we want. And that's almost the best way to go about it because we're providing a consumer product, like housing. Why can't we develop housing in a way that meets multiple needs, still generates revenue, because it has to sustain itself long term. We can't just go and build a bunch of houses and then not have any sustainability plan. So uh, we heard that over and over, and we saw big $20 million, $25 million projects to $80,000 housing renovations. So what may, was there anything else that kind of stood out from a, from maybe a personal level, like Allison, the neighbor, and the 07, who cares to be known, as we talked on the way down, of like the importance of being known uh, in a neighborhood and seeing neighbors connected. Um, so what did you learn as a personal? Yeah, I think um, the, just the need and... I think this is both personal and professional, but uh, you know the need more I, for collaboration. And I think I, by nature, when you look at my disc profile, <laughs> I'm on I'm on the outer edge spectrum of collaboration. I'm 100% love to collaborate, and that is in, uh, um, just in my by my nature. It's what I do, and and just that being. It resonating so much that that's what they're doing in Louisville, and just the need for us to continue to do more of that, and and non-traditional collaborations, and collaborate with collaborating with partners you wouldn't ever think would be a natural um, organization or entity or for-profit company to collaborate with. Um, I think all of those is sort of releasing any again preconceived notions and you putting on our creative thinking caps and saying okay how do we get what is this thing that we want to do and how do we achieve that and who might who are all of the people that we might bring to the table to help us do that thing and so I, I just I love that and um, I think personally it all goes back to what I talked about when we started which was relationships it's they spoke to the need of talking to all of the neighbors and you can't prescriptively come into a neighborhood and say this is what we're going to do for you. Yeah. Uh, you that is a recipe for disaster and 
and so the need to really be in the neighborhoods, I mean, it's what Neighborlink's doing, you know, being in the neighborhoods, creating relationships with people, asking questions, um, learning new things, and finding out really and truly what the personality of that each neighborhood is, and then helping grow the neighborhood from there. You brought up collaboration. Other people, as we were doing a bit of debriefing, really noticed that there seemed to be a lot of collaboration. What Did you see anything specific that may align with why you think that they're more collaborative than maybe some of us are in Fort Wayne? One of my perspectives on collaboration is I feel like collaboration happens when it needs to happen. Like when there's an exchange or a need collaborate with another organization as a leader we go after those things in order to accomplish where we're going what what did you see or did you see anything different like why are they why are they collaborative like I think from the outset of having a group of people coming together from the beginning of a project So I didn't ever get the sense that there was an entity that then said, okay, this is the problem we need to solve, and and now let's think about all of the partners. It was sort of a, hey, are you noticing this thing? Yeah, I'm noticing this thing too. Well, are you, hey, other organization, are you noticing this thing? Yeah, we're noticing this thing too. Okay, well, let's talk about it, and now let's see how we can move forward. And sort of, I guess, more of a grassroots collaboration than a, well, I do this and you do this, so then this makes us naturally collaborative. Yeah. Well, I noticed, uh, so for context, we spend time, there's really three really big neighborhood development issue or initiatives going on in Louisville, three kind of targeted areas that cover quite a bit of, quite a bit of ground in each one of them. And within that, we interacted with uh, at least one, if not two, organizations or developers in those projects doing a wide variety of things. And so, but one of the consistent themes that we heard was that they were all very aware of each other. They were all sharing ideas, all uh, having a unified front with financing and people and developers and the city that it was a more of a collective effort rather than a competitive effort. Like each one of those city or those neighborhoods could have over a hundred million dollars invested in the next year or two. Uh, that's a lot of money when you factor the type that times three and then try to pull all together. You could get very competitive, but it seemed that there was at least in our two days a very unified front on why it's important for the entire see to, to, to rise. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I go back to what the, um, the man said who was running the market space we visited where he has a bunch of vendors that he's um, curating and putting into this building that he owns to create this larger market. And he said, you know, we just we can't we can't have competition here and we we have to erase from our mindset that if you're a candle maker and I'm a candle maker it's okay and we can both sell candles and it's going to be fine and if we come into it and one of us doesn't think that way then you're not going to work in this space because we all have to work together to make this space work yeah, that's great that's great so 
the next week or so, what is kind of one of the things that you're putting on your to-do list uh, when you get back? A lot of research. <laughs> yeah. A lot of looking at a lot of the organizations and entities that they mentioned or that they're uh, working with or on. I think one of the key things that they really are working on as a city that we learned um, through sort of a cohort that's, that has evolved is um, the research and the metrics that define their city. And everyone that we talked to was very keenly aware of what those metrics were. They knew that they could say, if you cross this line, your, your uh, you know, death rate is 12 years less than this side of the city, you know, you know and you, um, I think it was impressive that they all knew those things. And I think as we as the Community Foundation move forward in our strategic planning efforts and think about metrics, it's, well, it's really helpful to know what they're using as their metrics to help kind of inform how we are moving forward as an organization as well. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been a great trip. Thanks again for inviting us and NeighborLink. So and, glad you were here. Uh, it's been so much fun on the bus and getting to meet a lot of really great people. Like we said, there's over 50, right around 50 people that came on this trip with a wide wide background, a professional background, a personal backgrounds, and so all that's coming out in a group like this, so I really feel like the relationships formed over the last two days is going to benefit, so keep connecting all of us together as the Community Foundation yes. and pushing us forward, so maybe we'll do another recap in a couple of months to see where we're going. I'd be happy to. Thanks, I've done two podcasts and my laugh cracks me up. I get so tickled in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's always hard listening to yourself. Okay. Well, we're back with uh, Michelle Chambers and uh, we just wrapped up two days and we're on the bus ride home. Yeah. Uh, before we started recording, we started kind of just discussing about collaboration, which was a, a theme that popped up for a lot of folks. Tell us what stood out to you in terms of what we saw in terms of collaboration. For me, it was an, an, an equal investment on both sides, from the public side and from the private side. The um, developers that they're working with really took pride in what they're doing. It wasn't about their rate of return, their internal rate of return. If you took a good listen to the projects that they've been working on, some things actually took a decade. Yeah. Nothing was a 24-month project or 18-month project. Sure. Now, did they have some learning curves? Absolutely, they had some learning curves. But they're at a point now where um, their projects are impactful and they are literally changing neighborhoods. But the most important thing is the collaborative piece. You have the private sector, the public sector, and the community. All of the projects had a community aspect and that the um, private-public partnership was not just saying, we have the answer, this is how we're going to do it. They really, really paid attention to the community, the neighborhood, the demographics. You know, uh, something that stuck out to me is that they don't approach the developments from a, a broad study. They really drilled down on that specific area and getting those demographics and looking at what those needs are and how the connectivity can be project by project. They were doing things incrementally. They had a big picture focus, but the execution appears to have been incrementally and well thought out. 
you have uh, experience, you said 20 plus years in, in this type of work in, a pre, in your previous careers. From your experience, what's different about their level of that public, private, and investor or even organizational collaboration from what your experience has been? That's a good question because my experience was I worked with developers that were doing commercial or affordable housing development and it was always a timeline crunch where they need to get done with this project so they can go on to the next project. Okay. You know, it was always about the next project. Once they got the buy-in, they would do their due diligence, do their community outreach, talk about the talk about the project with the community, get the tax credits, get the... They were uh, builders. They were builders. They were focused on what they were set out to do. Even the ones that held the properties, the the projects that they were going, that they developed, they were turn around and become the managing partner and even have their own owner investment. I just have never had, in all my years of experience, I've just never dealt with developers who slow walk this thing, you know? And... um, when I was talking to one of the developers, and he agreed when I said, you know, it didn't happen overnight. The, the, I had to say demise, but the, um, the blight of Louisville, those different neighbor, neighborhoods, it didn't happen overnight. So the development and bringing them back is not gonna happen overnight. So I was told, telling him I can appreciate how he's been patiently developing the neighborhoods, you know, and making sure they're connecting the dots. Sure. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about on the way here in terms of something you were looking forward to is um, trying to help identify who is leading the development. And you kind of discussed a little bit. Did you find anyone? Did you, of the six or eight different development groups that we talked to, was it clear for you to see like who initiated and if so, like did that make a difference for you based on how you perceived the projects? It didn't make a difference, but although those were all different entities, they still had that same mandate of investment, quality of life, um, equity, and the um, investment for the community. They're completely different corporations, but they all had a similar blueprint and a similar attitudes about the neighborhoods that they have been investing in and working with, you know? And they all had a good relationship with the city. Yep. And the and, and the mayor was able to articulate and tell the story. I can tell that the mayor really, really, for me in my experience, really understood the layering and what it took to get the is to taking to get the neighborhoods developed. They they weren't talking points. Because yeah. he really under he really understood. And to me that was very impressive. So if you have a mayor that's on board, you have developers that are on board, and you have a community that's on board, yeah. it's a winning formula. Yeah, there's three really large areas of his city that, that this is impacting. Um, this, he, he really seemed like he cared about, about the people that he represents and his community from a social and relational perspective. But there was also a big understanding, like when you get to just the economics of saying, this can't stay the same and it has all kinds of implications, but it also has opportunity to attract hundreds of millions of dollars in development for a city, which you know has to be a part of it too. Everyone's going to get a win at the end of the day, the way that they're developing the neighborhood, yeah. because they have the workforce development piece in there. Everybody is very much aware of the earning capacity of the neighborhoods that they're developing in, you know, 
and, and they really understand if you have the buy-in of the community, it will succeed. It's that pride of ownership situation, whether you were a renter or an owner, common thread. Everybody was buying into it, and everyone was understanding the why they were there, but they were thinking differently outside the box, not doing business as usual. Because if you would, if you had noticed the age range of the sure. developers, so you have some intergenerational creativity going yeah, on there. Yeah, very diverse group of people collectively that we interact with. Yes, collectively doing the same thing, maybe in a different approach, but really with the same strategy of collaboration and making full use of your resources. Yeah. It was so impressive to me, Will, I, I hate that I'm yeah. forgetting the name of the company, that he had done 29 tax credit deals. Sure. And he started off as an architect. Yeah. And now he has their whole, they have holdings of property, they have management companies now, and it just happened organically, but it happened. And then you have the piece over in the, um, the Russell area, where you have uh, a specific goal to rebuild this African-American community, and they are unapologetic about, yeah, we're going to build this, our mandate is to rebuild this African-American underserved community. And they're all working collectively together. Black, white, brown, it, it wasn't a color thing, it was a people thing, and they knew the, 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 the goal was to make this a thriving, a gainfully employed African-American community again. So Michelle, from flipping the, the perspective and saying we were kind of on our own community development initiative for the last two days in terms of the people on the bus and that were on the trip. Was there anything that stood out to you as you worked and built relationships with people on on the team? What did you learn from other people on the bus? Well, I think that we've we learned from one another that we would come back and debrief and talk about things that really stood out to us. Yeah. And because this is such a eclectic um, group of people and, 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 and a good understanding of community development from all walks of life, some of the common threads that we all agreed upon that was very impressive and that we had to figure out how to bring back to Fort Wayne is the performance-based zoning, yeah. which is huge. That is so creative. And I asked the developer, was that there? Did they create that? They said, no, actually, they were just searching and searching. Seattle instrumented that ordinance and started that performance-based development. And also the leveraging of the public and private sector dollars, the relationship that United Way has with Chase, the other lender who literally was doing 100% financing on FICA scores at 585. We're like, how can we get that here? Yeah, Regional Credit Union really took uh, took a hard look at how they were investing in the community and what their what their role was going to be and came up with some really innovative, like the room, the guy shares for five minutes, shares five minutes, it just gives us the, the overview bullet points of this program and the room really erupted, like it doesn't really matter where, the, where that credit union is pulling those resources from, whether it's marketing budget or just a consideration of how we share profits among the bank and the, the credit union, but the energy in the room for the innovation of that program. And we'll try to link some of the details on this in the show notes, but you're right, there's some innovative ways that um, businesses are coming and saying there's value in this. Like, There's more value to how we can be innovative in this space and we may make a little bit less money, but the re- other returns, the social returns for us isn't just good for the bank in other way. It's good for them as individuals. I mean, and it's good. Them. And like I shared with the Chase representative from Fort Wayne, yeah, I so said, if you have a healthy, employed community, 
those are your customers. Sure, absolutely. So again, that's recycling those dollars, bringing it back into. I'm not naive in that. You know, I believe in corporate corporations having um, a giving heart, yeah. um, being being um, invested in the communities that they're invested in. But they do have to have you know return on their money. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not naive in that. But if you have a healthy community, you have a working community that's making a living wage, you're going to win. Absolutely. It's fun to hear more of these stories as new businesses are trying to get innovative with their philanthropic approach and their community development approaches. We all learn from each other, and so we're excited to take a few of these stories back. What is maybe one thing that you learned about being a, being a neighbor in the last two days? Well, I, I like about the Russell community is that they're talking and they're showing concern for one another. And I could feel it when I was walking the streets, speaking to the people, just saying hello. They were very kind. And I can see that they have pride in that chef space and that restaurant right there and how they developed the barbershop and you know, just coming around the corner and taking each each plot and having a plan for those that they've torn down and creating spaces for community to gather. You know, we kind of go in our garages now, bag out in the morning. I mean, in the evening, yeah. we don't have those centralized gathering places, you know, so they're commuting, creating a community again where people are being neighborly, you know, the, the, the folks that are helping maintain and keeping cleaning up the neighborhood. The residents wanted that. They were like, help us keep our neighborhood clean. So now they have a clean, you know, there are always blocks that are just clean and clean and clean, you know, working together and creating that neighborly feeling again. You know, we have a lot of neighborhoods in Fort Wayne. I think they say like 200 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 240 neighborhoods. Over 240 neighborhoods. Can you imagine if we just all, you know, kind of became a little more neighborly? And <laughs> That's together? I hope so, Michelle. <laughs> if, if I'm doing anything, I'm hoping to make that, that happen. So it's a hard battle, but it's worth it. It's know? worth it. It's worth it. Just, just being connected to our, to our community. Uh, we need relationships and it's a whole lot easier to be connected to the person next door than across the town. So yeah, work uh, and doing anything we can do to help facilitate this. So, you know, my, my, my bottom line takeaway is that we as a city, well, well, we can learn from this trip, trip and maybe somebody can come and talk in more detail how to leverage all of our dollars that yeah. we have access to. Begin to look at identifying, you know, neighborhoods by name. <laughs> you know, taking that pride and and making sure that we are creating an environment when the public and the private sectors collaborate together, that there's a mutual respect and understanding about the big picture, the long-term picture, and that we may not be able to have that big, you know, turnaround really quick. But again, it's going to take time and patience from creative, collective um, works together, we can be very successful in our neighborhoods. That's great. Michelle, thanks for being on the Neighboring Podcast and uh, being on this trip. Glad to meet you and nice forward to, to see you again. And thank you for doing a recording of this. So yeah. Now it is recorded. It's recorded. It now will forever be in the atmosphere of history yeah. of Fort Wayne, Greater Fort Wayne Street, trip to Louisville. That's right. <laughs>48 hours and we learned all the things that we needed to learn uh, it was a it was a 
definitely a fire hose kind of experience. What was it like for you? You spend far more time in this space than many of us in terms of thinking about community development, economic development, um, mm -hmm. the impact, the structures, the processes, the financing, and all of those things. So I know for many people, just trying to observe and listen, uh, there was some definitely some bigger light bulb moments. For you, what kind of stood out? Oh, wow. What stood out most to me is that Louisville knows what it is as a city. Yeah. It's so authentic. You can feel it in its neighborhoods. And it's a community that's not afraid to make mistakes and not afraid to um, uh, acknowledge its mistakes as well. There seems to be a high level of uh, vulnerability in terms of knowing our history accepting that, being able to communicate about that, uh, at least with us, illustrate like, hey, hey, we're doing okay now. We're starting to get some, some things going, but the last 10 years have been pretty difficult. And even, and even beyond the, those 10 years, right? We yeah. heard um, the, from the mayor's office all the way down the line, we heard um, conversations about redlining, we heard conversations about discriminatory practices that over time led to some huge socioeconomic disparities. And, you know, the mayor talked very clearly about leading with compassion and really felt that coming through in all of the um, community development corporations, nonprofits, um, public officials that yeah. we talked with, they all kind of had the same the same story, the same common history. It's clear that they went through, they worked through that as a community and were, were really doing their best to um, figure out how to, how to correct some of these problems and move forward. And to me, um, it's, it's a huge sign of community health that can't necessarily be measured. Yeah. There was a strong essence of much of what they were working on was related to justice-related issues. Mm -hmm. That justice was driving some of this, that it wasn't just some developers making lots of money or doing really cool projects. There was some of that. We saw some of those types of projects, like the soccer stadium that may be brought in by an outside developer. But it was attached to other really strong initiatives. And most of the people we actually got to talk to to your point, had a real strong sense that this is this is the right thing for our community because it's related to some justice-related issues. Absolutely, and you know the private sector developers that we talked with as well had that mindset yeah. too, and we heard over and over again that this isn't about one project on one block for us. Yeah. It's about it's about making an investment in the context of a much larger community and wanting to make sure that that investment is what the neighborhood wants, is a good fit, and, um, and that they were prepared to be long-term kind of patient capital partners. And so that whole, it, you know, it, it's not just the public sector leaders or the faith-based community. You've got, you've got private sector yeah. um, investors that have come alongside as well. And so that to me was, showed me how we could advance some conversations in our community about how, how, do, we, how do we do more for our, 
urban corridors, especially when it comes to commercial development. You know, especially on the southeast side of town, there's been multiple studies about retail leakage, um, food desert, right? There's a, there's a lot of wealth in, in um, the density, especially in these neighborhoods, a lot of dollars yeah. there, and, but not a lot of commercial options. And one of my biggest takeaways was um, the, just the, the difficulty of the work and, and the long game that you have to play. It's not as easy as just attracting an, some national name retailers. Yeah. It's really difficult. Yeah. In fact, we didn't see any of that no, in their strategies. A, there was almost a pride in some neighborhoods that the fact that there was no national, you know, most of the new development is non-national. And like they want it that way. They like it that way. Right. And they're, they're supporting entrepreneurs or su supporting small business. And that's, it's messy and it's hard, right? You need to figure out the physical space. You need to figure out the programming support. You need to figure out the financing, which has drastically changed over the last 10 years. Um, but to me, it, again, it, it bakes in that authenticity yeah. and it shows, it provides not only um, opportunities to keep dollars local and provide um, a better lived residential experience for folks that live in the neighborhood, but also then provide employment opportunities and small business and wealth generating um, possibilities in the form of entrepreneurship. So it, it was just um, uh, very um, exciting trip. I, the mix of leaders that we had there um, from all faith-based, nonprofit, private sector, public sector yeah. leaders, um, it, it, was, it was a great opportunity for us to see that together, and I think it'll elevate the conversations about what strategies are possible in Fort Wayne. Yeah, I, I saw several different times. It seemed like everybody that we talked to took a different approach to community development in the practical side of things, but we're all very unified, like you mentioned, in terms of this is a collective effort for our city, and if we don't get on that narrative of saying, yeah, we're addressing three different neighborhoods, but this is a long game, and the more the more we can all get on the same page, the more successful we're going to be is be together because we're not just looking at, to try to raise twenty five million dollars for our one specific project. Like we're trying to raise one hundred fifty to two hundred million dollars for our entire community, and that's a much bigger picture. Mm -hmm. We have to figure out our identity and how we fit into that, and how our project helps this in order to tell tell the bigger story. I thought that was really great. And uh, I think we have some work to do in Fort Wayne on that, but I think it's primarily driven because we haven't seen a ton of redevelopment kind of work or community development. Like we're starting to see it in downtown. We've got the big project in GE that's trying to get up and going. But in terms of what we saw the last two days in neighborhood revitalization and redevelopment hasn't really been, been happening, at least not in a bigger scale in Fort Wayne. You see pieces of it yeah. on like Wall Street, right? They've yes. had some small businesses come in and some storefronts um, be rehabbed. Uh, that's naturally gonna be one of the first dominoes to fall, so to yeah. speak, um, with all the investment in Riverfront. Um, but, you know, our community is so much larger and it, we need to not, we need to have a multi-pronged approach. And so um, I, I just come, I woke up this morning just number one tired. <laughs> <laughs> but also really, really excited about the opportunity in front of us. Um, Louisville 
is a huge community. You know, they've got 1.2 million people in their metro, their cities, um, about 700,000. The scale of issues in Louisville in terms of um, vacant lots and buildings that need rehabbed, I mean, they've made a lot of progress, but just by, by virtue of the sheer size of the community, they still have a lot of work ahead of them. I feel very encouraged by the size of Fort Wayne, our footprint. Um, when we think about neighborhood corridors, the number of blocks yeah. that that entails, this is really manageable. Yeah. And I think we can, we can make a lot of progress in the next decade on this issue. Seeing what Louisville's done over the last decade, yeah. I'm confident we're, we're capable of achieving something yeah. similar. We're certainly on, on the path forward. Of all the, the groups that we met with, did, was there anything that uh, stood out to you in terms of maybe a different approach or the way people are leveraging resources that was kind of new to you or uh, at least maybe hit where you're at now and thinking creatively? Right. So um, One West is a nonprofit that serves the entire West Side neighborhood, community collection of neighborhoods in Louisville, predominantly African-American. Um, average household income of about 12,500, um, lower life expectancy by 12 years. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, there's some big disparities there, but um, the West Side is a collection of many smaller neighborhoods. We heard from folks in, in Russell yeah. and Port Portland and, and a few other neighborhoods as well. And um, the One West was a nonprofit that was started just a couple years ago. There's representatives from each neighborhood. You've got um, representatives from the, the city, the private sector, um, and I think they just hired their first executive director a few months ago, yeah. um, Yvonne. Yeah. Um, and they developed a plan, and they were very clear that it took them a while, right? It took yeah. them, I think it took them about a three-year process to come together, develop a plan, hire an executive director, but at the other end of it, they were uh, a winner of a national grant competition called Advancing Cities and have some real dollars now to implement some of their programs. Yeah. And so um, I think um, the organization behind that, the prioritization, the um, support from the mayor's administration and from the private sector, to me that showed a really good model of what um, a, a, an avenue to support development, particularly on, on the south side of Fort Wayne. Um, I think we've got the neighborhood leaders. I think we've got great faith-based organizations, great nonprofits, but um, they, they've, they've figured out a, a way to kind of pull that together and leverage it. And we've got the assets. What was it they talked about? They talked about anchors and assets. Yeah. Right, over and over again. Focus yeah. on your anchors and your assets. Yeah. Um, we've got those. They just showed us how we can pull it together sure. and move forward. Yeah. As a as an intentional neighbor, put on the the Ellen hat, the neighbor hat. Was there anything that you walked away that was exciting in terms of like how you live and your family lives in the neighborhood you live in? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there was public art everywhere yeah, we went was. to. It wasn't just in the downtown area um, or the areas that visitors yeah. come to. There was art in every neighborhood we went to, both um, 
you know, on all ends, I, I think of the income scale. And I'm really excited for a public art commission. I'm really excited for the public um, art plan that the city's been working on. I'm excited to see more of that um, just when I walk around as sure. a resident of Fort Wayne. Um, I'm also excited for the opportunity to take advantage more of what could be within walking distance. We live in a really walkable area. I'm really thankful for that. Um, about a 20 minute walk from downtown. But we pass a lot of vacant storefronts in that 20 minute walk. And I'm excited for the opportunities in the future just to be able to do more with my family and have more options close to home. And I think that really is within reach. So I'm excited. Yeah, I am as well. I Listening to the stories and the conversation among our team and the people that went and what I was seeing there to that front, but also then like, hey, we've been in this neighborhood for 10 plus years and my family and I, and we're neighbors, like we do a lot without going very far from, from our house and get really excited about like when I don't really have to leave the neighborhood in the half mile radius because we can get at least most of what we need from that spot. And so the more that that's coming is the more I get excited. I'm like, we've got an identity. We're moving forward as a neighbor. So this conversation in Fort Wayne is really exciting because I know from a selfish perspective, we can continue to benefit. Plus we get to be a part of it because we've been engaged in it for a while. So Right. Did you, can I ask you a question about NeighborLink? Yeah. Um, what did you see in Louisville that informs what you guys are doing in, in, with NeighborLink? You know, our, our approach started out by helping a lot of individuals. Like it was a benevolent, charitable effort for a faith-based group to put their faith into action in very tangible ways that on a small scale could, could be positioned as a band-aid or a temporary solution. So mowing grass for a vulnerable homeowner is a temporary, could in some cases a week-long uh, temporary situation, but when we factor in the relational connectivity that's happening and the way many of our volunteers are relocating in order to do that, so they've had to drive from a different part of town into that town to do that project, and then they get to connect with the relationship, and then they take what they learn back to their own neighborhood. Over time, that builds. So the last 15 years of saying, like, yeah, on one case, we're really small scale, like we're making really micro improvements that some last a while, a roof lasts a while, and that stabilizes that house for that period of time, but does it change the life situation or the neighborhood structure? Well, collectively, we hope we're making a bigger impact, but where we've been learning and wanting to go is looking at the data and what is that, how does that inform our decisions as we move forward, looking at the collective needs that are going unmet. And so we get to see entire neighborhoods or areas or pockets within a neighborhood in a very micro level of concentration and what I saw so I kind of attempt to try to pay attention to some community development initiatives around the country so I saw a lot of things that I'm familiar with in terms of practice like how to go about it and how to tie these anchors but the margins for me are really interesting so the role of public art and how people targeted a particular building or uh, there was one group in Portland that we I resonated with in their idea of like targeting the one house, like the worst problem. That that made me think of NeighborLink yeah, as well. <laughs> NeighborLink is essentially doing what nobody else wants to do. They what called it. I'm sorry. They called uh, it urban acupuncture. Yeah, 
I, I need to think and process about that, about that concept and that term, uh, but the philosophy and the action behind it is really important because in every neighborhood, no matter what the socioeconomics, people know what's going on or, or what's not going on. You look out your door, you're in and out every day, your routines. And so when a group makes an intentional effort to do the, the least likely thing, there's a lot of power in that. Because, and, and then how you do it makes a huge difference. So by choosing that project and choosing to like lose money or not make money on that project, but to address that issue, you can do nothing but build trust and build wins in a neighborhood. So if you're being strategic, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, as a neighbor, it makes a lot of sense because it's like picking up the trash nobody wants to pick up. Like whose responsibility is it? Uh, it's no one's, but we get to choose to take responsibility. And so I saw that in that organization of saying, look, we'll, we'll take responsibility for the worst things in the neighborhood and we'll start there. Uh, and then we'll build from there because the, that's a really good way to build trust. So I really like that personally and professionally and the way NeighborLink is using technology. And because we're in a micro, like we're kind of scrapping things together. So um, the Access Venture guys and how they are using Kiva loans in order to help fund entrepreneurs is saying, look, we'll, we'll figure out our own financing. We'll figure out our own entrepreneurial efforts. Like, yes, we need big partners, but sometimes we can get stuck waiting for bigger Initiator, initiator, and they're like, we'll, we'll piece these things together and we'll, we'll work and we'll, we'll dive in. And they had a real strong, strong perspective on justice and relational capacity. And um, where gentrification, the term gentrification came up a lot on this trip, and it was kind of circling around it. And uh, the author, Bob Lupton, who's been doing community development in Atlanta for 40 years and focused community strategies, I was at one of a workshop with him six or seven years ago, and he really had a better term. It's like, gentrification is good. Like we, it's necessary for community development. But where we can really make a difference is if we think about gentrification with justice. And I didn't necessarily hear that term, but I felt it in all of the conversations of everyone saying like. Yeah, one of the things as, as you were talking about, I think it was a Portland Investment Initiative, yeah. PII. Uh, you know, it was interesting to me, not just in Portland, but in other neighborhoods we went to as well, um, just the focus on housing, huge focus on mixed income. They know that the healthiest neighborhoods are mixed income neighborhoods. There's better outcomes for everyone. Yeah and um, a dual focus on renter and owner yeah. occupied housing. And um, yeah, the touring the Portland neighborhood, talking with their leaders, um, I just felt like there was a huge connection between what they're focused on and what, how you serve, how NeighborLink serves um, Fort Wayne and Allen County. Um, but you know, to me, it just, it underscored the systems approach that's necessary, right? Yeah. They've got their, Public housing authority, private developers, and then nonprofits that are land that are land banking, um, providing assistance to residents in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, they really do have a systems approach, and I and I I think Fort Wayne has developed that. We've got some more growth to do, but I was really encouraged. I mean, I think when we were doing the debrief with the group, the consensus was we have the pieces. Yep. It's the, it's the communication and putting that system together to make sure that we're, we're advancing at a more accelerated pace together. Yeah.
Well, it was a great trip. Thanks for you and your team collectively, Greater Fort Wayne, for organizing these trips and taking us along. Um, There's a lot of energy. I learned a lot, so I was grateful to be a part of it. Thanks for all your energy, and uh, I'm glad that we're neighbors. I am too. It's a privilege, and thanks for making time to join us. Amanda, thanks for coming back on Neighboring. Would love to hear you've been uh, back. We've been back from Louisville for the last uh, week and a half or so. Had a little more time to have some conversations and to decompress the things we learned. Curious what stood out to you as you've been processing and thinking about your experience there. Yeah, so um, I think that the trip was wonderful, and I have had a chance to to debrief with a couple of individuals following the trip. So one of the key takeaways for me was that we we are a collaborative city to some degree, but I feel like we have a long way to go to really become more collaborative and really sort of mimic the efforts that Louisville has put in within their city in order to gain buy-in from everyone in the community. And so I had some follow-up conversations specifically with Cedric Walker, and that was exactly what we talked about, really coming together and figuring out, okay, where are some um, some areas where we need to plug in a little bit more, and how do we do it in a constructive way that involves the people in the communities that we want to continue to revitalize and um, push forward in a positive way. So what does, uh, what does more collaboration or better collaboration look like for Fort Wayne from your perspective? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, if you look at Fort Wayne overall and not just in terms of different sections of the city, but really um, just kind of as a whole, and you look at, let's say, for example, not-for-profits, I feel like we have so many organizations and so many people with the same goal in mind and sort of duplicating the effort. And I just think figuring out how we can come together um, and, and, and find the common goal, because I think we all have that, you know, to make sure that this is a place where people want to live and, and work and be and, and is the best city that it can possibly be. Um, if we could all come together and figure that out and, and talk about what each person is doing or what each group is doing, whether not-for-profit, business organization, um, different leaders within their own neighborhoods, figuring out, you know, what are you best at? And you run with this one and this person's going to run with that topic. And then coming back together and looking at how they've completed those tasks, tasks individually, but toward the common good, if that makes sense. I just think that so many times we're, we're duplicating efforts and then really not talking to the people that need to be in the room to help drive things forward. So, for example, Southeast Fort Wayne, if, if we were going to talk about that specifically, and we, we chatted about that a little bit from Weil and I's perspective um, before we went to Louisville, if we look at that and if Weil and I comes in and just says, you know, we really want to, you know, invest in Southeast Fort Wayne and have the people who live in that community become a part of our organization and we just kind of go in and start, you know, doing presentations and talking about it without having conversations with the people who live there to see what they actually need and want, then we're not going to be successful. So it's, I think, coming together and figuring out how can we collaborate toward that same goal of getting more people who live Southeast Fort Wayne to be a part of an organization um, or you know, the, the bigger, the city as a whole and the leadership of it and, and driving it forward and just making sure that that's something they truly want before we just kind of go in and start saying, here's what we think you should do and, and here's why we think you should do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who do you, 
who do you feel like um, should be responsible for collaboration? Collaboration is, is hard and it takes extra time and energy for many organizations trying to figure that out. Who should be responsible for kind of bringing people together, being the connector for collaboration? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so that's a really tough one, I think. I, yeah. I think that it would be wonderful if we had you know, an organization, let's just say, for example, GFW, let's say they were going to do that in some regard and, and start driving that forward. I think it would be great. I think that it's hard. It's really, really hard. And part of me believes that it's going to have to start kind of grassroots. So, for example, with um, Weil and I specifically, I, during the trip, made a point to meet Cedric in person and talk with him because I knew it was something he was passionate about, revitalizing Southeast Fort Wayne and getting, not just revitalizing it, but getting um, the members of his community involved in bigger things and, and, you know, whatever it is that that looks like for them, but just, you know, making it so that they have tools and resources available to them. And he really wanted to focus on millennials, which is a focus of Weil and I right now. And so we just got together and just started having some conversations. And so we sort of did it on our own to figure out how do we come together and collaborate, um, which I think is wonderful. However, that's going to take a really long time. So again, bigger scale, I think it would be great if we had an organization you know, like GFW, I'm not saying it has to be GFW, but yeah. if it were, you know, something like GFW to create a space where, um, you know, it's an intentional talk once a month or once a quarter um, on specific topics. And any person who's doing something, trying to move that ball forward has an opportunity to come to those meetings and speak about what they're doing and learn what others are doing and then just be in a space with those same like-minded people to begin conversations and collaborations. I think that would be the ideal way to do it. Yeah. You, uh, as the, the president of Wild and I, um, many of the programs and the energy that your team and those before you have put in is connecting people and pulling together, whether it's social events or events around elections and participation in civic-oriented groups, what are some of the lessons that you guys have learned over the years for what it really takes to take an idea of getting people connected to actually getting them to show up and connected to uh, show up to the events? Uh, I'm sure there are many things that you guys could teach the rest of us in terms of creating creating shared spaces for people that, you know, frankly, don't have to be there. They, they choose to be there. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think the biggest factor that drives that is one that's outside of our control and it's the people who um, who you want to be there have to have a desire to be there. So when people are invested in something or it's a topic that speaks to them and it, it's going to impact them personally or directly in some way, that's when they decide to show up for things. So it's, that's really just kind of outside of all of our control, but that's the biggest factor that I think goes into getting people to show up. Beyond that, I think it's showing people that when you talk about a topic or you talk about um, a, a sort of a program of sorts, whatever it is, that you actually move it forward. You're not just talking about it, you implement it and you move it forward. Because once you do that and you begin to have that reputation, when you put out a call for we want everyone who's interested in topic X to come to this event, they're more likely to come because they know you're not just going to be sitting around a table having a conversation. You're going to take that information and actually implement it and do something with it. A lot of power in doing what you say you're going to do. That's, yes, that's very true. 
a lot of a lot of a lot of power and follow through. And uh, from our experience, you know, sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot of you don't have to take on great projects. Many times it's the small projects that that you follow through on the build the trust and the connectivity that that really makes a difference in the long run in terms of the bigger bigger picture. So that's great. Absolutely. And if you have a lot of people who are taking on those small tasks and following through with them, coming together, it adds up to something big. Yeah, absolutely. What, was there anything else um, that stood out to you about Louisville specific or any other kind of connections you made with other people on the bus? I had an opportunity to speak with a lot of people, which was which was wonderful. Some of it was just catch up because I knew a lot of the attendees yeah. prior to prior to going, and some of it, um, you know, were new connections, which was wonderful. I think, you know, my biggest takeaway was you have to have buy-in from the people that you're trying to impact, and you just generally need buy-in from people before you can move the ball forward. It's really hard to do something or to make a change if that isn't there. So I think that's my biggest takeaway. And um, the other thing, if we're focusing specifically on an area of the community that we want to revamp, so to speak, or or change in some way, beyond getting buy-in and individuals saying, yes, I think that's a great idea, it's giving them a task of some sort. So one of the major things that, that stood out to me when we were listening to one of the talks about the um, western side of Louisville, that's the side that they were um, that they were revitalizing there. So one of the things that stood out was they talked about how there was so much trash in the street, and they didn't know who put it there, whether it was, you know, the people who lived there or it was other people driving through the neighborhood and throwing their trash out. But what they decided to do was pay people who lived in the neighborhood to clean up the street. And what they did was they paid the senior citizens the difference between the so it was um, up to the amount they could make and still receive their benefits so they're getting extra cash and then here they are living in their communities and having an impact on it directly and so yeah. that's a win-win for everyone i thought that was a that was a really big deal and that stood out to me a lot yeah that's a, it's a great illustration uh so many times we interact with people via neighborlink who have been living in their neighborhoods 20 30 years they take on various initiatives like you know, cleaning up trash around their block in their area. And then, you know, the grand scheme, it's overwhelming to them. They had energy and then nobody else helped. And then they just didn't quite have the energy. But when you put uh, kind of some sort of reward system or incentive in there, that helps justify for folks that even if nobody else helps, this is still worth it to me because at least I'm being rewarded in some way and making the, the community a better place. So I think uh, those programs is a way that they figured out how to a raise money to be able to pay people to do that is incredible. And for a community that wants to see uh, some movement happen, taking those kind of small initiatives shows a, a lot of pride and it doesn't really cost a, a, a ton overall kind of some micro investment. So that was, that's great. Absolutely. Great. Well, Savannah, uh, anything else? No, I don't think so. I think that covers it. It was a great trip. Well, hello, Danita. Hello. Welcome back to Fort Wayne. I know it. I know it. Great weather today, though. Yeah, we are touching base uh, after our trip. We've had a all week to kind of debrief and yeah. kind of process uh, from our trip to Louisville. Talk to me about some of the things that you've been kind of thinking about. 
Um, the experience was nice. You know, uh, I think there was some aha and eye-opening moments um, to see that the work, the work that they were doing, um, but also to see that we are not as far behind as I thought we were. Yeah. Um, that there are some great things that we're already doing, um, but we just need to move the mark um, for us to reach greatness. You know, and that'll take team and time. So, um, but the one thing that um, if I can just jump in, yeah. um, that really stood out for me was the number one was the support of the mayor. Yeah. Like I was in awe at his buy-in and his all-in mentality. Like he is not just talking it. He's not just doing it for an election year. He, you know, he is literally like, this isn't my term to, I'm doing this because it's the greater good for a community that we have not served. Yeah. Um, and um, that was profound to me, you know, that he was able to articulate it um, and then own it and then move forward with a plan along with grassroots people, government, I mean, it's just entrenched with a lot of different um, levels of people. Um, and so that was my number one standout. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of time to talk to him, so we don't know um, really the full backstory, mm -hmm. but it was clear that he had a vision. And yeah. That was uh, a vision he started out with, and he's been bringing people along or a vision that he's adopted um, because of his administration and the work. But mm -hmm. at this point in time, based on the limited interaction, he was certainly able to articulate a, a collective and concise vision that was clear that he was pretty involved. Well, and I think I've learned that I don't always um, just listen to what um, sometimes people who are in the front row say. I really like to listen, or in, in at the podiums, yeah. I like to listen to the people in the back of the rooms. And talking with some of the people in the back of the rooms, um, they supported what the podium said. Um, and they felt that that was the truth. Mm -hmm. And so for me, because I'm on the back of the room kind of girl here in the city, you know, that for me was profound from my viewpoint. Um, and so, you know, that was my number one thing that I liked and, and, and that just left me feeling warm yeah. um, and hopeful. Um, that if we can get that kind of buy-in from different levels, um, you know, not just the mayor level, but different levels um, within the city, that I think there is some greatness that can happen um, here. Yeah. So that was my number one. What was another thing that stood out to you? Um, I think the other thing that stood out was the ownership of redlining and, you know, the historical pieces. Yeah. I mean, everywhere we went, people really literally identified it, owned it, and then interjected what they thought could be a plan in the role they could play. Yeah. It, not the finger pointing or not who needed to do something, but what they, as a business owner, what they, as a banker, what they, as a, you know, just a consumer or, you know, uh, uh, a neighbor. Could do, and so I thought they did really well at putting um, those audiences before us um, that were, you know, different walks of life, but yet had a common goal. 
And so I thought that was, for me, that was, you know, that was huge. And I really felt it was authentic because even when, you know, conversations, once the podiums was gone and, and just room conversations would happen, um, <clears throat> it didn't change up, you know. And um, I can't think of the lady's name that was the uh, community, uh, she was a mom, a grandmother, I think, and I can't think of her name. I don't know if it was Miss Jessie. Miss Jackie. Miss Jackie, yeah. you know. Um, I could relate, you know, to Miss Jackie. What well, stood out particular about Miss Jackie? Uh, she was pretty dynamic. It was uh, everyone kind of walked away. Like mm -hmm. she kind of spoke up in a very author authoritative mm -hmm. way. What kind of stood out to you about Miss Jackie that really resonated? I think because she was unapologetic. Okay. You know, I think that she has a true, authentic sense of her community, um, and I think she has buy-in and social capital. Um, for voices a lot of times that are unheard or not at the table. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that they have figured out that, that they need, have to partner with her um, so that they can get a true sense of what that community wants and needs and not go in and try and tell them what they want and need. It's always nice to have a voice of, or, or voices of someone who is actually living it. Yeah. And I think that's what she brought to us, you know, and to them. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes in these community development initiatives, at least from what I've been learning and observing over the last decade, uh, is that a lot of times the development or the big projects are uh, coming from a resource educated perspective uh, with good intent many times, sometimes not, but coming into a community with grand ideas and visions and they'll hold some meetings and they'll try to get some public input but it's a lot of trying to uh, securing buy-in for a plan that's maybe pretty far down the road um, sounded like miss jackie was one that said and stood up uh, among and been the voice for some neighbors that said you know like yeah we need a lot we need we need improvement and development that's true but on our terms like we don't need everything and if you don't invite us into the table and then we'll probably maybe push back mm -hmm. and say, which was great because you could see the dynamic and I'm sure there's been some challenging conversations <laughs> leading to that, that was very clear. diplomatic. <laughs> uh, we got to see the very diplomatic way right. and uh, the aftermath of probably a lot of conversations and recognizing that, okay, we need to make sure that Ms. Jackie is telling the story and not us. Well, and I think that, um, I think sometimes we shy away from the difficult conversations when we're doing this work because, yeah. um, you know, the fear factor. And I think the F word, fear, kind of keeps us boxed. And so I feel like what Ms. Jackie did was like, hey, I'm not a threat. I am a part of the, I'm a part of the cloth. Um, and so don't fear me or us. Um, but sit us at the table. We dine, let us dine with you. Let us conversate with you so that you understand what we're living yeah. and what our needs are. Because on the outside looking in, that's a different lens. You know, that's in anything that we do. Um, but, you know, you, you get somebody who is in the, you know, in the trenches of it, their viewpoint can be valuable. And I just think that they've really recognized that Miss Jackie and probably others that she's gotten to partner with her that's a valuable piece. And so they dare not bring another Dollar General 
they yeah. dare not bring, you know, a gas station that is not warranted or, you know, those kind of things. She's really clear and she's created, that's the other thing on their end. It sounds like they have talked and spoke with her too on what is the plan then if you don't want these things, because that side has a tendency too to say what they don't want, yeah. but without a plan. And so Miss Jackie, you could tell, had a strategy and a plan for them. And I can't think of the guy's name that was there along with us that um, has on the other end who hugged her and kind of, yeah. you know, um, I could tell that they have really partnered to help her create a plan of what is the voice? What is it that you guys really want yeah. so that we can see if it's affordable, if it's conducive for the area and that business owners who want to come into the area will buy into. Sure. So. I uh, picked up on Miss Jackie and I see this in our work at NeighborLink oftentimes that, uh, Ms. Jackie's been hard at work for her entire life there. Like she's been carrying whatever her part is in the neighborhood stability. And oftentimes when new groups are trying to come in and say, hey, we see all these other opportunities, um, it can kind of feel like we're not acknowledging the work that's already been done. That yes, it's not maybe all that great, but it's not, it's not any worse than what it is because yeah. of that. And that needs honored. Yeah. And I think that on both ends, the another F word that I use, forgiveness has started. Yeah, sure. Which I think is huge, it you is. know. So many times everybody wants to, and I think a lot of times it's authentic. Like people authentically do want to help or be helped. But, you know, because forgiveness hasn't happened, you know, then we still have these walls up and these silos of groups and people um, who um, don't come to the table full throttle and in full forgiveness and in faith of greatness and goodness and so uh, that was the other thing that I recognized that you know I think that they really are at a place of healing um, as a community um, some things have been done wrong for years and years and years yeah. and they really are at a place where they want better and greater for that area definitely anything else uh, you shared on the first part just that your personal journey with life circumstances uh, impacts the way you look at different aspects. Did you walk away with any sort of personal thought? Um, we were in a fortunate position, and I'm kind of sensitive, curious whether I'm picking up on this dynamic, but there's a lot of just organization leaders, there's lots of conversations with this, we're bouncing around, we're trying to take in a lot of things, and the conversation can stay pretty high. Mm -hmm. And we just talked about Miss Jackie and more of a personal experience what were there anything else was there anything else that stood out to you at maybe a personal level in terms of how individuals were being discussed or the issues that um let me think well okay you can scratch this if you want but I think the moment of the restaurant experience when we walk past, from Don Roseman's perspective, when we did that, and you know, initially, you know, I was the one that said, I'm eating lunch over there, because that's where we thought we were eating the day before. And so... The dynamic here uh, for people that weren't there is, there was this place called Chef's, Chef's Space, and it was a creative, collaborative, entrepreneurial environment that allows different restaurateurs or food service individuals to have kind of a startup environment. And uh, within that building, there's kind of a, a, a oh. storefront uh, that rotates businesses. So 
they we come in and it's open to the public and allows one of the vendors that's in space to have three, six, eight months worth of time at, at this kind of mini restaurant, if you will. And we, a large group, Chef Space had organized and the organizers had organized kind of a meal for us with a different vendor and a bigger uh, conference room kind of deal. And so uh, there was discussion around, well, why didn't we just kind of go through the food line and, and buy buy lunch from that particular vendor? We kind of, 50 people walked past them. And now we frequent in a different vendor, but there was some discussion on that, which is getting to where Denise is going. <laughs> um, I think for me, that was a moment of sit still and thinking because um, I didn't know how to take that. You know, I just know initially I was going to service that that particular storefront because the whole weekend we had kind of talked about or the whole two days, that was really the just of, you know, we are here to start recognizing and understanding um, you know, inner city, urban, however you want to describe yeah. it, um, businesses and black owned businesses. And this particular one was black owned. And so, um, you know, for me, it was hard to walk by them and not service them. It, it, we're in the heart of Louisville's urban area. And it was just difficult for, for me. Even talking about it is difficult. Um, and so I think that it was to me almost like a moment of like, like right now we have the ability to give means and finances to, and you know, a black owned business and we walked right by them, stepped over them actually to go into another door in the heart of the community in which we're saying this is what we want to do differently in some regards. And so for me, I thought that that was a p powerful moment. It was a learning experience for all. Yeah. I, I think everybody learned something in that moment. And I appreciated that it wasn't done in anger or frustration, but it was in love of learning. And I think that when I use the F word, that's what I'm talking about. Like there's so many times that we can offend and we don't even know that that's what we're doing. Yeah. But if we're not, willing to learn and let down our walls, then that can be taken as a defense instead of an opportunity to say, you know what? I didn't even think of it that way, you yeah. know? Um, and so um, I am, I was grateful for that moment yeah. in that moment, you know, because us as leaders, us as going and doing these different journeys together, you know, I think there has to be moments when you know the the throat the lump in our throat gets thick and it's hard to swallow but yeah. you know it it still is trusted mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it was still a trusted space that we could be honest yeah you we don't know all the specifics uh, right we didn't we didn't get into the details on why that happened or could they accommodate or any of right. that but there was an acknowledgement there were some feelings there was an awareness mm -hmm. and uh it was a brought up and addressed in conversation uh, but what I love about you bringing that up and the discussion that happened is it was allowed for all of us to let's acknowledge it, let's discuss it, and let's just sit in the tension for a few minutes. Yeah. We don't really need to know all the details 
but we like to your point, we all walked away thinking about how we can be more intentional, yes. especially when facilitating groups. And there's a, there was a lesson for us all to learn. Um, I agree. But sitting in the tension and not trying to dismiss it or find mm-hmm. a solution, which kind of feel like happened because uh, there, there wasn't a resolution. No one hopped up and tried to explain it. It, it was just one of those moments where we could sit in the tension. I think it's an important thing that we all experience to reflect on is yeah. sometimes we just need to sit in the tension, especially when we're discussing economic development, community development mm-hmm. in areas that are socioeconomically and racially diverse, yeah. especially when we're you're bringing up a really great opportunity. This was an economic development opportunity for us to support black-owned business. Right. And for whatever reason, we missed it. Right. But we could talk about it, and we could sit in that tension, and I think we all need to sit in that tension a little more. Yeah. And I think that you described it so well, so thank you, because I think that, again, uncomfortability, we, we shy away from it because it doesn't feel well like it isn't you know it isn't something that's comfortable but i think the uncomfortable spaces is where we really grow and we're able to you know then hear each other yeah. not planning a rebuttal but just hear and and value that that is my experience you know that's your experience and it's okay so i was appreciative for that moment because i think that it you know when i got back on the bus you know, I was sitting with some people and we were able to talk about it, you know, and hear the reason or the thoughts that they maybe didn't see it that way or that they did see it that way. Yeah. And that they were appreciative that it was spoken. And, and you know, a couple of people even went and purchased like cake and stuff as we were sure. leaving out the door. And so, you know, but again, because of their experience, they didn't even, it, it didn't even cross their minds. So. Yeah, we're kind of going with the flow. Yes. Yeah, so I thought that was huge, and um, I really appreciated the invite of the different levels on the bus. Like, I thought that this year they did really good at inviting, there was different walks of life, and I think that was important um, for this work. You know, that not everybody was a CEO, but not everybody was doing grassroots work or non-for-profit work, you know, that um, there were different... um, you know, different entities on that bus, which I think will be great coming back to do the real work because the different entities is what it's going to really take. And we learned that when we were down there. Yeah, great. So, Dina, thanks for your time. No, thank you. I appreciate uh, you more than you know. Yeah, I appreciate it. Wow, what a trip. What an opportunity to meet and discuss and just really process. I don't know that my goal was to try to figure out and make any sort of solutions or grand statements, but to truly just document what we're thinking and what we're learning and what we're discussing on the trips. And I think that's so important, especially for podcasts and mediums like this, to be able to just Uh, be in the moment and have conversations and figure out what we need to learn. So thanks for tuning in to these two episodes of Neighboring. There will be a couple of additional podcasts coming yet this month uh, from other people that were on the trip and who are doing some really innovative and some cool work in Fort Wayne. So as we continue to try to document what's going on in Fort Wayne and in our community and what it means to be a good neighbor, I hope you will continue to listen to the Neighboring Podcast.